I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <clears throat> Whoa. Okay, you guys ready? Yes. Hi, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. It's the week of October, beginning of October. Uh, I'm Jason Kebler, and I've got Laura Heinz, Kaylee Rogers, and Lorenzo here with me. I will never say your last name, Lorenzo. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> what is everyone talking about today? Everyone is talking about people. Do you guys know what people is? I know what it is now. Yeah, I read up on it this morning. But why don't you tell us anyway, Jason? What is people? People, it's spelled P-E-E-P-L-E, which is the name of a department store from the early 1990s, I believe, kind of like a TJ Maxx type thing, is an app that is the Yelp for people in which you can review people and give them star ratings. Um, And obviously this has thrown the internet into a fervor because people are scared of getting rated poorly. And... That is all very understandable, but uh, I don't know that it's going to be popular because we've seen this before with Lulu back in 2013, which was an app that allowed women to rate men who they hooked up with. Oh, yeah. Remember Lulu? I remember no, Lulu. because nobody remembers I it. Don't remember well, I don't Well, I didn't at first, but now I do, now that you remind me. Yeah, Lulu was like an app that I went to a happy hour once, and this girl showed it to me, and we laughed about it for like 15 minutes, and then literally no one ever talked about it again until right this moment. Yeah, I, I remember reading about it. I downloaded it to see if any of my Facebook friends were on it, and they weren't, and then I deleted it, and that was the end of Lulu. Yeah, I think Gawker had a story, one of the first ones, obviously. And then people like freaked out, then people forgot about it. And then New York Times, obviously, a month later, late as usual, (laughs) wrote about it. People freaked out again for 15 minutes and then people forgot about it. Yeah. So people is not launching until November, which I think is hilarious because like I think by tomorrow, probably by the time you hear this podcast, no one will be talking about it anymore, (laughs) which is actually tomorrow. Um, And... You know, then there's going to be a month of nothing, and then it's going to launch, and then, like, six blogs will write about it. And Two then, months of nothing. They said they're launching at the end of November. Oh, my God. And then, yeah, maybe, like, a bunch of people will download it, and it'll go to, like, number 12 on the App Store for, like, the first day, and then it will die forever. And if it doesn't do that, I will be so, so, so surprised. But that's that's the trajectory I see for this. I mean, we've seen it with Yo. Does anyone remember Yo? Yeah. What? Yo. What? <laughs> okay, we wow. got a jokester here today. Lorenzo's in quite the mood. Um, Lorenzo's being a dad yeah. right now. Yo is an app that let you send um, notifications to people, and it just goes yo, and it's really annoying. Does anyone still have yo on their phone? Can we play like a, the sound? No, no yo, no yo, no, no yo. yo for us. The best part about yo was the fact that you could rhyme a bunch of stuff with yo, such as no. Um. But yes, moving on, uh, I believe that this is probably going to happen with people as well. Um, 
I'd be very surprised if it doesn't. But, you know, maybe we're going to move to a place in history where everyone is reviewing people all the time and you won't hang out with someone because they got a two-star people review from, like, their colleague. Also, I think it's just, like, fundamentally weird, the idea of, like, I'm going to give this person a rating from one to five stars. Yeah. Even if it's a positive thing, like, isn't, like, that's so creepy to, like, give your best friend, like, you get, you get a five-star rating from me. Like, that's so weird. Also, like, who, like, are you going to give one of your friends a four-star review? It's like, yeah, you're pretty good, but, like, could be a little better. Wish you didn't puke on my couch last week. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, that's friendships ruined right there. Exactly. Yeah. But it won't even be that specific. They'll just be obsessing for so long about why they didn't get that one star. Right. The only, like, theoretical, I mean, people, you're only going to review people. Like, you don't review a Yelp restaurant if it's, like, eh, it's okay. Well, some people do because they're obsessed with Yelp. But it kind of makes sense uh, with Yelp because Yelp reviews are helpful for others and, like, there's this whole competition thing going on with, like, who can be the best Yelp reviewer and stuff. But uh, Lorenzo is trying to open Yo. It's <laughs> not how you do it. Oh, Anyways, but, like, if you just, like, kind of like someone, you're not going to be like, eh, three-star review. Like, I, I feel ambivalent about this person. It's gonna all going to be, like, one star. I fucking hate this guy. Uh, and you have to use your real name, and it makes no sense in that scenario, I think. And I think that five-star reviews are probably going to be creepy for the most part. Like, Well, it says you have to use your real name, but like, couldn't you just make a bunch of fake Facebook accounts? You have to like, like link it to a Facebook account. So you make a bunch of different fake ones so you can review all your enemies. Yeah, all of this just sounds like way too much effort for. I'm like, not anyone. saying I no, would I, do I, it. I know, I know. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. But like, the more we talk about it, it's like the the less of a thing it can possibly be. Yeah, you can buy fake Facebook uh, Facebook uh, accounts. They're cheap on the dark yeah. web. No, it's actually on the clear clear net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, www.fakefakefakebook.com. Fake 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 <laughs> Fakebook.com. Um, wasn't that a joke from some sort of sitcom? Maybe not. It's probably not. Seems like it would have been. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, so anyway, today we are going to throw to an interview um, from Canada. It's not with Kaylee, though, who is our resident Canadian in the U.S. New York office. There are other Canadians. Yeah, way up north. Um, <laughs> it's our Canadian editor, Matthew Braga, and he interviewed um, Google's head of security what what is vince he interviewed vince Cerf, who created the world wide web which is very important and he's uh now works for google in some very important capacity that vince Cerf actually explains in the interview that um i just listened to and it's a good interview um they talk about security and encryption and that's why i have lorenzo here because he is our security expert and um google has How's Google doing on security? I feel like they have kind of like fallen behind lately, uh, especially because they're compared to Apple a lot. And it seemed like when Android launched, it's like, oh, Android is definitely going to be more open than Apple. And, you know, you kind of think of like open source and often open source is more secure than closed source because people can spot vulnerabilities and point them out and they can get patched and that sort of thing. Um, But that hasn't quite worked out as Google wants it to, right? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the general mantra is that open source is more secure just because of what you said, like more people can look at it. 
but it's not necessarily always true if nobody's actually looking at it. That, that happened with, uh, if you guys remember, Heartbleed, that was an open source library, an open source um, tool, so that um, had a really big flaw and nobody had spotted it, even though it was like widely used and widely reviewed. Um, the, the, I mean, the bottom line is that all software has bugs. Uh, we suck at writing software, there will always be bugs. Uh, the problem with Google's approach is not just, so, it's not that it's open source, there's nothing wrong with that, it's that they have uh, given up control of the platform to like countless manufacturers and and uh, telephone wireless carriers that don't care about your security, don't care about patching your phones because they actually want you to buy a new phone. So it's much rather for the, it's much better for them to have your phone out obsolete and like slow and you know unpatched because you're just gonna buy the new one. Um, that's like the big advantage that Apple has. You know, they have full control over every iPhone. The carriers have no control whatsoever. So if something happens, Apple can can patch it very quickly. That doesn't mean that iPhones are, you know, NSA proof because nothing is and nothing is completely unhackable. But it just adds, it's just more costly to uh, break into iPhones and Apple products in general. You just have to look at uh, how much it costs. For example, uh, two weeks ago, um, a firm launched a challenge to hack the iPhone and it promised like a million dollars to do it. Nobody would like pay you that to break into Android because it's not that hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, like it's also important to distinguish, I think, Google and Android. Like Android is separate. Like Google is very good on security and has always been, but Android is a different story, unfortunately. So uh, you just, dis you didn't discover, but you wrote about, you did not hack into Android, but you found another vulnerability in Android um, and wrote about it today. What is that vulnerability and why is it scary? Yeah, this is another, in, uh, two new bugs uh, in the stage fright, um, what's known as the stage fright library inside Android, which is sort of like a multimedia engine, engine that like lies under uh, every Android device. Uh, if you remember, stage, uh, stage Fright was in the news a couple of months ago when the first bugs came out. And those allowed hackers to basically send you a multimedia message that would automatically own your phone. Uh, that was very scary. Um, the patch was pushed out by Google pretty quickly. But again, obviously, the carriers took like weeks, uh, sometimes even a, one month or two to push the the patch. In this case, uh, today, the same researcher that found the first stage fright bugs has found out that you can uh, sort of do the same thing with um, malicious uh, audio and video files. Uh, it is scary because, again, like there's no patch yet and it's going to take forever to, to get your patches on your phone and most of your phones actually will not get them at all. Uh, the good news is that it hasn't been exploited that we know of yet. And the researcher hasn't published the full details on how to do it. So even like, you know, but people are going to look into this, you know, criminals are might already be looking into this and it might be just a matter of time. That's lovely. And with that, this is Matt Braga with Vint Surf. They're going to talk about security and the like. My name is Vince Cerf. Mm -hmm. I'm Google's chief internet evangelist <laughs> and the one of the fathers of the internet. Nice to meet you, Vint. It's a pleasure to be here. So in 2008, uh, you were part of a, uh, a group called Internet for Everyone, and they called for a uh, national broadband policy for the U.S. to solve sort of this issue of the digital divide. And I'm wondering, since then, what has changed? 
Well, there is more broadband available, but I don't think that we have done justice to the problem. There's still a lot of the United States, especially in the rural parts of the country, that don't have access to broadband that should. There are several things, however, that are starting to come along that might change that equation dramatically. Usually when you think broadband, you think, okay, optical fiber and things like that. But now at Google, we're thinking about putting balloons at 60,000 feet and raining LTE down on everybody carrying IP packets. There are low-flying satellites in addition to that that are also proposed but not yet up there. So I'm beginning to see some real movement in alternatives to conventional delivery of broadband service. So the project that you were just mentioning uh, is known as Project Loon, uh, and I know that uh, Google is one company that's working in this space. I know that Facebook sort of has their own ideas about how they want to bring internet to uh, developing countries. Um, how far along are these projects, and how confident are you that they are uh, a solution that is going to, uh, going to work? Well, Loon is still part of our Google X uh, team, so that means it's still a highly speculative activity. SpaceX, by the way, is also very interested in putting satellites in low orbit. I think that the most, the project which has made most progress is called O3B, which stands for Other 3 Billion. These are relatively low flying, they're at 8,000 kilometers, they're much higher up than, than the other uh, typical satellites have been. Uh, and they are delivering uh, 10 gigabit per second on each uh, platform with 1 gigabit spot beams, 10 1 gigabit spot beams, and they can reach almost any place on Earth. So that's the most advanced project. I would guess by the end of this decade that we will see a lot of different opportunities and alternatives for people with, at costs that are affordable. Wireless telephony is also turning out to be a pretty important path uh, as 4G and 5G start to spread. So although it's taken longer than I would like, it feels like the second derivative is positive. <laughs> So right now in Canada, there is a federal election happening, and uh, I've been sort of surprised because there hasn't really been a lot of discussion about issues of access to internet, digital divide, cybersecurity, and privacy. And I'm wondering, generally speaking, you know, why aren't these topics of discussion uh, amongst sort of politicians and during sort of elections? So that's actually a very good question. I mean, we have a major campaign going on in the U.S. as well. And the subject of uh, cyber safety and security and privacy and so on does come up quite a bit in the States. Um, partly, uh, I think, because people are much more aware now. I mean, just read the headlines of all the things that have been hacked and all the personal information that's been exposed. Maybe uh, you've had less of that problem in Canada, and so it isn't seen by the politicians as an issue that is heartland for the electorate. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not following the Canadian politics as closely as I, perhaps I should. So during the election right now in the U.S., um, do you find that sort of recent high-profile incidents, sort of like the... Um, uh, the Office of uh, Personnel Management Hacking, for example. PM, yes. yes. <laughs> Having been, I am one of the victims of that. Really? Uh, well, uh, I worked for the government. I still consult for the government. Uh, I'm on the National Science Board, which is a presidential appointment to oversee the National Science Foundation. I am a special government employee, and therefore <laughs> all of that stuff, including my fingerprints, uh, were part of the record. So uh, the answer is that this is a wake-up call. And it should be a wake-up call for everybody, not just in the U.S. We have to start building systems that are a lot more secure and a lot safer. And if we don't do that, people will lose trust in the Internet if they haven't already, in which case its utility will begin to dissipate. So the problem is serious and severe, deserves a lot of attention. 
we've talked a little bit about uh, countries that perhaps don't have as developed access to internet as we do here in North America. What about countries where there is access to internet, but that access is mediated or filtered in such a way? Um, in your view, how much longer can uh, you know the filtering and sort of blocking and, and surveilling of content in certain countries continue? Uh, it will continue. Uh, those countries that are concerned about what people can do with internet and with related technologies have good reason to be concerned. And if you watch the so-called Arab Spring, you found a lot of people pounding their chest saying how proud they were that they used Facebook and tweeting and so on in order to incite revolution. This is a, a superficial view in my, uh, as I see it because while you can get people of disparate views to align on we want to get rid of that guy, if they don't also say and then what happens after that, you may get an outcome you didn't intend and I think the Egyptian situation is probably a as good a poster child for that view as any I can think of. So I think that we will see countries continue, authoritarian regimes especially, uh, concerned about what people can do and how much information they can share. I, have, I harbor this hope as a technologist, however, that this can't go on forever and that there will be tools available to let people make their conversations private on an end-to-end -end basis, to tunnel under or over or outside uh, the constrained environment. And certainly some of the satellite ideas and the balloon ideas we talked about have the potential to open up what would otherwise be a very closed environment. So some of the tools that you were talking about a second ago have in the past not been particularly... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Easy to use. Um, you know, if you were someone who wanted to send, you know, an encrypted message to someone or make an encrypted phone call, um, these things haven't really been all that easy. But they're, they're starting to get better. And I'm wondering, you know, what will it take for uh, things like encryption to become sort of, you know, easier for people to use and more widespread? Well, uh, if we can go a little geeky here, uh, one obvious thing is that uh, the transport security capability uh, used to be called SSL, uh, now it's TLS, uh, automatically creates in, uh, encryption variables on an end-to-end -end basis, and the users don't necessarily have to know about that. Now, whether or not they can also be sure they know who they're talking to is a different story, and you know we don't have time to go into certificate authorities and all this other stuff. There are some alternatives, by the way, to certificate authorities that would be better and could be implemented. Uh, but I also think uh, that we can make security easier for people, but we can't erase all the inconvenience. And so I've been thinking about terms like the irreducible minimum of inconvenience that we can get away with and still provide safety and security. That might mean using two-factor authentication and insisting on it. Uh, it might mean using passwords that are a lot better than the ones that people often end up using. It might mean 
using HTTPS, for example, for all web-based interactions. At Google, we encrypt everything. We encrypt from the users to our data centers. We encrypt traffic going between the data centers. We encrypt the traffic when it lands at rest on the disk drives. We encrypt our own disk drives. We encrypt our mobiles. And we insist on two-factor authentication for all of the users uh, at Google, the employees at Google, and we offer this to our customers. Now, I know I don't mean to make that into a big um, advertisement, but I want to say that Google has really paid attention to that and has built systems that people can use that provide a great deal of protection. So you've said in the past that in the future, uh, issues of safety and privacy will only become more challenging as more of these sort of you know, smaller devices come online. And I'm wondering whether you can think of any challenges that uh, you know, people aren't really considering today that will only become more and more of a concern as uh, the Internet of Things, I guess, as it's called, uh, proliferates. Yeah, some people call it cyber-physical systems, but uh, it's the toaster that's on the <laughs> network. The headline I worry about is the one that says 100,000 refrigerators attack Bank of America. <laughs> and you know, it's not a silly headline because the computers that we use today to build into appliances may actually turn out to be pretty powerful machines. I mean, it's hard to get a dumb computer these days or an, you know, a, an inadequate one. And so they could be running operating systems like Linux or you know, Chrome or you know, Android. Uh, and you could outfit them with malware that allows that refrigerator not only to manage all the things it's supposed to do, but send out spam or maybe you know, launch denial of service attacks. So I am worried about the embedded systems that are going to be out there as part of the Internet of Things. And I'm particularly worried about updates to the software, because imagine you've got you know, 100 devices around the house, the light bulbs and everything else, and for some reason, we discover that there's a bug in the software that could be um, ex exploited. We need to make sure that all of those devices can, in fact, be upgraded. And it may not be so simple to do that when there's no standard user interface. It's a light bulb. It's a toaster. Uh, so we really have to think our way through that. These, some of these devices could be used for 10 or 20 or 30 years. And so figuring out what's the path to make sure that they are protected is a big issue and needs attention. So we're here at an event, uh, it's the Canadian Hearing Society's Get Connected event, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, we were just talking about the Internet of Things, and I'm wondering whether you see uh, any potential for sort of smaller connected devices uh, to make a difference for people who are perhaps hard of hearing, who are deaf, or have other disabilities. Well, certainly, let's take somebody who is blind or has a visual problem. Computers can, should be, uh, usable to vastly improve their ability to interact by zooming in on things, by changing contrast, uh, by increasing audio, by providing electromagnetic connection instead of just audio connection like I use in, on the phone. There are all these things that computers should be able to do, but the people who write the software that we all use don't always understand what it takes to make things accessible. And so a theme that I will launch on later tonight uh, at this event uh, talks about how to make things accessible and how hard it is to do a good job of that. I mean, it's easy to make things that are hard to use, and it's hard to make things that are easy to use. And programmers who have not encountered the, an experience with an accessibility problem don't have an intuitive understanding of what it's like. They don't know what it's like to use JAWS, for example, which is a, a tool that will art, uh, speak what is on the uh, web page. 
uh, and if you don't know what that's like, you may not be able to design the application taking that in mind. The same is true for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. They want to see text whenever there's any voiceover. And if you don't think about that, you don't build in the tools to make that happen. So we have a big challenge to get engineers trained to know more about how to make things accessible. And we need people who use these accessibility features all the time to feed back to the, the people writing the software so they learn what it is that makes things more accessible. You can't just sprinkle accessibility pixie dust on these things. Yeah, that's Leo. That's the worst. So while Matt Braga was talking to Vince Cerf uh, <laughs> all that time, we traveled to Canada and back and downloaded the Yo app. And remember this thing? It's so fun. Uh, it's not. It is really fun. Now you can like send locations. You can send emojis. You can send cam uh, pictures. And apparently you can send dinner. I don't know how that works. I could never which... get Yo to work. Full Isn't... disclosure. Can't you do that with text messages? Yo, Lorenzo, hey. <laughs> All right, I just sent you a voice. Did, did that work? Mm, not yet. It's traveling through the intertubes. Yeah, it's almost here. Uh, <laughs> while we're waiting for Lorenzo to get my voice message, um, what are you guys doing this weekend slash tonight? Like, any, is anyone doing anything fun? No. I'm. That's I'm, cool. <laughs> I'm going to a conference this weekend. Oh, yeah? What's it about? Internet security, I think, or something. Oh or privacy. God. I got to look into it. Guys, we got to move on from privacy. And <laughs> we got to. Uh, I am going to see The Martian tonight, and I'm super excited. And our podcast next week will have spoilers galore, I'm sure, because I always like talking about sci-fi movies. But speaking of sci-fi and other planets and that sort of thing, Lara here has something she'd like to share with us. Um, can you explain what it is? Kaylee, yeah. what is it, actually? Let's get Kaylee involved here. Because <laughs> I feel Laura, like Kaylee really likes this. I do really like it. I'm, like, really... I'm secretly jealous that you were this creative. As, are you sure you were seven at the time? This seems, like, too advanced for a seven-year-old. So my dad found this um, when they were cleaning out the basement. Wait, what is this? Like... No one has said what this is yet. It's a story we're going to explain. Okay, Listen. Okay. I see. Okay, continue. Laura? So my dad was cleaning out the basement, and he found um, this thing that I had written in school, supposedly in second grade, so I would have been about seven. Um, but it came Is that from... how old you were in second grade? Yeah. Yeah. Kindergarten? You're five. Four. Or no. you're five. Oh, I believe Canada. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it depends on birthdays and country, I think. But this came from the second grade box, so I would have okay. been seven. The second grade box? Second what grade is that? Unless it got misplaced. Let's Probably just say why my parents were cleaning. Laura is an extremely smart person, but this is this is suspicious for two reasons. One is it's extremely well written, and two, the handwriting on it is impeccable. I've never seen a second grader with handwriting like this. Yep. It's a, so it's, a, it's a story. It's an epistolary story <laughs> written in the form of a letter. To uh, my brother. To Laura's brother. So do you, do you think you can read it for us, Laura? Yes, so. I, I can read it. Okay. Try. We did this yesterday, actually, but uh, the recording quality was kind of bad, so we're going to do it again. And when Laura read it yesterday, she sounded very happy. So I'm going to put her on the spot and try to... Uh, can you be a little more uh, like you are suffering on... 
like I normally am. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can you be a little bit more like your normal self? <laughs> yes. So this was a letter that I wrote to my brother. Um, his name is Johnny. So um, it reads, Dear Johnny, life on Planet X is hard. Just yesterday, I saw two people wearing e-stickers. We are separated by planet. But creatures from Mars and places like that can stay in the same city with the creatures from Planet X. E stands for Earth. If you don't wear your e-sticker, you get beat up with electric sticks. It is bitter cold here, and lots of people have died. People are begging for coats and one hot bath. If you do get a hot bath, it's so hot, it gives you blisters. I'm wondering if I made the right choice. We are staying in a city called Sector C. I can't come back because the rocket is broken. How is it back on Earth? Has all the fighting stopped? I hope so. The family is fine. Best wishes, Lara. Yeah. <laughs> that was with much more feeling than yesterday. I really liked that I was I was really tired yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Lara, did you read slash watch a lot of science fiction as a child? I, I mean, I don't think so i read you know like a wrinkle in time and all those books and watched a lot of the twilight zone i honestly like it's really weird reading this like out of the blue from when you're a kid you're like <laughs> what was i thinking yeah. this is very very dark mm-hmm. yeah um, there's a lot of like science fiction tropes that are like you know like the sectors and yeah people, people are branded people are branded the electric sticks it's very dystopian yeah where did the electric sticks come from I have no idea, and I kind of want to ask my seven-year-old self what those even looked like. Are you uh, scared that you were, like, beaten with electric sticks as a child, and this is how you decide to cope with it? No. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, I mean, no one would want to get beat up by electric sticks. The thing that's so crazy to me about this, too, is it, 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 like, addresses the issue of, like, we always... Like the gra- we always think the grass is greener on the other side, and we're like, "Oh, this will solve everything." And then you're like, "No, no, it won't. It's actually just worse." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you wonder there if you made the right choice, and I assume that is in leaving Earth. We don't really hear what's going on on Earth, except for there was fighting, perhaps a war, and it seems like your whole family came except your brother, which is very well, sad. maybe this is supposed to be adult Lara, and like it's her her personal family. Not like oh, well, I don't think her brother and parents. No, maybe. I just That's feel how like I when it. you're. I feel like when you're a kid, you don't write as though you're like your adult self. Yeah, but, I don't I think mean... I could even like visualize myself <laughs> as an adult when I was seven. Um, yeah, I don't know why my brother would have stayed behind. He's like two years younger than me, so maybe it was like there wasn't room on the rocket ship, and yeah. I was the favorite child. <laughs> We're also discussing uh, how this letter was transmitted from planet X to Earth um, because it's written on, you know, like a a regular type of paper. Um, It's that paper you learn how to write on where it has like dashed lines um, for the middle of the line so that you know where to make your lowercase letters. Does it? It's like beige paper. I think that you've invented that part of it. That's definitely something that we had in Bowie, Maryland. No, that's That's something that exists, but (laughs) this paper, this image of the paper does not seem to have the double lines. Well, I think it's, you're misrepresenting it's, it's things scanned. for listeners. It's, it's an electronic copy at this moment, but <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if the letter was transmitted via teleportation or like what did it fly on like it, like Planet X Eagle dinosaur thing? Like how did it get from there to Earth? Was it printed out on Earth? Like maybe yeah. they transcribed, it. perhaps. 
It could have been faxed. They probably faxed it. Yeah, I don't know. And like maybe I, they you know. yod it. Maybe it was yod. <laughs> maybe it's yod from the future. Well, this also happened in '92, so it would have been like way before email became a th- like. It's just weird to think now that it's like, yes, we're in space, of course, like pen and paper. That's the only way there is to communicate. Yeah. Also, it was a school assignment, so it was probably all I had. But still. It was a school. Oh, so this didn't actually happen to you? Mm, this is a fictional story. It could have happened to me, <laughs> but I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe that's where it came from. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyways, I think that... Uh, Probably a lot of our listeners have also maybe written stories when they were kids, or maybe you are old, and by old I mean middle-aged, and have kids of your own. And <laughs> maybe some of you are adults who have kids who write uh, stories. And if any of them are sci-fi, I would love to see them. Agreed. Please yeah. send them. Yeah. To you can send them to editor at motherboard TV or Jason Kebler K O E b-l-e-r at vice.com um and we would love to hear from you yeah and please we, send a story behind it yeah we'll we'll chat with you about it maybe you can read it on the air with us Yay, Mark, yeah you greetings. can call and we can record it and it can be a whole thing then we'll become famous you'll become famous for your story we'll be add nice. some cool atm- atmospheric sounds to it yeah well i'm sure that will be the case with this one as well yeah I don't know about anyone else, but I'm super excited to go home for Thanksgiving and dig through and see what kind of fiction I can find. It will n- undoubtedly not be as good as yours, Laura. But. I don't know. You might be surprised. I did not even remember this happened. <laughs> I wrote a story called Jason's Dinosaurs once in first grade and made it into a book. And by that, I mean my mom did it basically for me uh, for school. And it's about me dreaming i was like in the land of the dinosaurs which i feel is a pretty tired story that so yours was amazing, way more though. that sounds great i like know. that yours was way, way more imaginative mine was like a happy story where i like hung out on the backs of brontosauruses brontosauri etc well like the titles i remember from my youth that i wrote were even worse like i i distinctly remember i think everybody had this assignment where you had to like bind a book like you had to learn mm-hmm. how to bind yeah, books and, and mine was called Puppy's First Car Ride. Aww. Oh, that's awesome. That must have been a fun time for the puppy. Unless he's going to the vet for shots. It's fucked up, Kaylee. No, it was Taking- fun. And <laughs> no, I remember- that would have been my take on it. He <laughs> <laughs> would have got beaten by electric sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Poor puppy. Yeah. Anyways, send us your stories, please, and give us feedback. And subscribe to us if you somehow came across this in a way that was not a subscription subscribe and if you like us you can give us a rating too and say that we're great you can pretend that this is people and you're giving us a a human rating yeah except uh, it's a podcast and if you're listening to this in december and you have the app people you can find us on it and give us all five star ratings or, or one star whatever um what i'm saying is people is the next big thing and it's gonna be huge you heard it here first okay bye <laughs>